The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to a deep... Oh, wait. That's not my part. Hello. For Krimbus, Merry Krimbus, our loyal fans. No real opening tonight. We're just going to wing it to bring it. We thought we would do a special episode where we bring you some Christmas cryptids. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise podcast, and tonight we... Oh, I already said it. Kick it! Welcome to a deep, dark, way below freezing in Georgia, dank, moist, frozen podcast from the basement. Bowels somewhere in Georgia. I just walked these damn dogs and mine. I think I think I left something out there that's very important. Oh, I either did. That they, either that or they went back inside me. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like today at four o'clock should have been near the hottest time of the day. I took mine out. He's feeling all frisky like he's a puppy, and he's about 10 years old. He's out there scratching after he does his business. I'm like, son, you only got three legs. I wouldn't scratch as fast as you scratch, and you're going to fall over. And I thought I was going to die. It's awful. And here's the bad part about it. I was driving to dinner with my son tonight, and we have one of the largest college campuses in my area. and Which when, is still tiny. Yeah. Well, square mileage. They call that the campus. They call that the campus. They call it the campus, but you there ain't no education going on on some of them acreages. Anyway, we were driving through part of that and I looked out there and it was still free. Like I had a sweatshirt and a jacket on inside the truck with a heater on and I thought to myself, damn, it's cold as hell right now. And but that's the way it used to be. Like we used to have these twenty degree, you know, days. And we've just gotten used to milder weather, man. And so when it hits, it hits hard. It it, it hits hard. But anyway, so first off, I need, Coach does not, I need to issue a public apology to one Miss Winford. dare you, sir. I know. I messed up on my shout-out last week. And Gina Winford. never learned to read. Well, I know a Wofford. I know a bunch of Woffords. And like a dumbass, I didn't pull up the page where <laughs> it actually had the comment. I was winging it. And then she listened to it and she's like, hey, did you mean to like give me a shout out or is there someone else? No, I screwed it up. So, Miss Gina Winford, I do apologize. And you are getting your due diligence. So, with that public apology, I will now talk about our new patrons we have one Catherine 
Arvanatis. I hope that's right. <laughs> he just issued an apology for fucking up a name. <laughs> yeah, but now, pronunciations are not. Everyone knows pronunciations are not. Now I just didn't read her uh, Miss Winford's name, but I think I nailed that one. She is at our sticker tier. She just joined uh, approximately uh, six days ago, and then we found out that if you change your banking account, you don't stop being a patron. It just realizes that you're now a new patron. So. Kaylee Rollins and James Bowley, both. Welcome, welcome. Uh, we do have some... No. Yeah. No. Hold on. Time out. No, we don't. Never mind. I have not checked the old Google machine inbox to see if there's anything. Does not look like... Cody from Down Under. I will give her a shout out. Uh, I had recommended the uh, MLK tapes a couple of weeks ago. And a lot of people are now just getting around to starting to listen to that. And I will tell you, um, you don't have to you don't have to go get your Reynolds wrap out of the the drawer or the cabinet. That shit. If you still believe James Earl Ray killed MLK, I got some horseshoe property. But anyway, they did the MLK tapes. That guy did a phenomenal job, just like he did in the RFK tapes. If you have not listened to the RFK tapes and you have just finished up on the MLK tapes, jump on over. You'll realize real quick, Sirhan Sirhan got the railroad. Uh, That's enough of the bills, Nelson, unless there's anything you want to add, sir. No, I'm just going to sit here and listen for a while. Oh, is that how we're going to play this? Bold move, Cotton. Let me know how that works out. Like, you know, I'm a good partner, man. I'll just let you talk, bro. Yeah, all right, so no, we did. I definitely, do not, I definitely do not think that James Earl Ray was the murderer of, of uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, and we may, well, it's our podcast. I don't give, oh, that's one thing I wanted to go over. Look, here's the thing. We've got a little bit of notoriety in the great state of Arkansas, and we got we love our we, we love do. our Arkansans. We do, and we got a lot of people out there just tuning in. But let me explain something to you. We're on season five, okay? We're about to hit season six in July. If you really think you're going to hurt our feelings, saying that we cuss too much or we drink too much on the podcast, I've got something for you, and that is find somebody else to listen to. Who said that? Well, Somebody not, complained? Somebody said we cussed too much, and I said, well, you know what? Cussing is a sign of high intelligence. I was about to say that, you know, we don't drink too much on here. We don't drink hell anymore. Not anymore. We used to drink like hell. That's when we had something to live for. We ain't got nothing to live for anymore. They must have listened to the Glitter episode. That's what I was about to say. Now, if you want to hear the bottom of the barrel... After we're like, hell yeah, let's record a third episode. We're eight deep. Yeah, no, <laughs> eight like, pints deep. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest with our listening audience. I was fucked up. <laughs> I barely remember recording it. My wife at the time was pissed. No. Who would have guessed that? The broken chair in the corner? 
It that might. was that episode. I know. I just barely made it out alive. I woke up in that basement. <laughs> Cold as hell. And I was like, you have to have that like that talk with yourself. Like, did 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 I? Did I die? Like, am I dead? I, I see that chair in the corner, and you have to do the whole Steve Urkel bit. <laughs> did I do that? <laughs> I'm extremely lucky that wasn't my head. That is true. It wasn't broken over my head. That is 100% true right there. I mean, that boy ain't lying. Because we spent a Friday night in our youth, our youth on a Friday night, prime time to take your wife out to dinner or whatever, and we spent like six hours in that basement just pounding beers. That was, I mean, it was a great day. I enjoyed the shit out of it myself. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, I I mean. Okay, so back to my original point of contention. There is a bonus episode in MLK Tapes podcast where they interview one of, if not the direct, he's either a tour guide or he's the director of the Civil Rights Museum that's at the Lorraine and now owns the... Which is amazing. I have been to a lot of museums in my life. And that one is spectacular. He There's said so much. Hold on. Now I'm not done. Well, hurry the fuck up. What? See, that's why I don't talk because <laughs> you make me feel bad. Get to <laughs> your damn point. There is so much information in that museum. If you really, truly wanted to soak it all in, we're talking days. It would take days. You would have to come back. Well, and that's what the guy was saying. I I recommend it 1,000% because it's like eight bucks, something like that to get in. You can go to Graceland and pay uh, $79.99 to get the the John Stamos audio tour of Graceland, or you can pay eight bucks and spend a whole day in this amazing museum. Okay, rant over. So (laughs) the point of contention was that he had, as a member or a employee of the museum, he was able to go into the boarding house bathroom and he stood in the bathtub and then he tried to position himself the way that they said James R. Ray positioned himself. The problem is they have fixed that. It's kind of like a time capsule. So they plexiglassed over the exterior and then I think they're in there a plexiglass partition where you, you can see the bathtub, but that's about it. You can, yeah, you can't actually get in it, but like, they, can you get you in the room? Clear, you have a clear view. Yeah, you can. You get a clear view of the shot. And like I said last week, it ain't a sniper shot. Anybody that's ever held a rifle and hunted and successfully killed a deer could make that shot 10 times out of 10. You, an illiterate dumbass, could make that shot. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) So my point was, he said that he had gotten into the bathtub and he positioned himself. And I think they have a replica, which is funny if you listen to the podcast, of the rifle used. The scope looks into the wooden window frame because the windows open like an inch to put the barrel through. So there's two points of contention there. A, you're not going to block your sight line, and B, a true person that wants to get away with murder is not going to stick the barrel of a rifle out of the window. 
But anyway, he said he had tried to position himself, and basically he came up with there's no way James Earl Ray could have taken that shot. And this guy was like five foot nine. James Earl Ray was right at six foot. As a right handed shooter, you would have to almost be left handed to position yourself to take the shot. Now, and he reiterated what you said that it was not a difficult shot from that window. However, he also said that it would have been an easier shot from the brush line between the Lorraine and the window. Anyway, so that's, you know, that's 10 minutes of your life about the MLK tapes, and we have no affiliation with them. But echoing what Coach said in the opening, we figured tongue-in-cheek for Christmas we would get y'all three cryptid cases. We even, if you're a part of our Facebook group, Asked what the third one should be, and that will be our closing one. We're going to kick this thing off, the three Christmas cryptids, with the old 50-foot Congo snake, the infamous black 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 and white photograph of what appears to be a very, very big black snake in the jungle. In August of 1959, a Belgian helicopter... Carrying one Remy van Leerde was flying over the Congo when he spotted an extremely large snake. It was about the size of a ribeye snake. In a letter to his commanding officer, he states, quote, We had a camera on board, so I decided to make several passes over the hole where the snake was in order to let the man take a picture. I made certainly between four and six passes right over the hole where the snake was in. By then, I was already flying for 25 years, so I have very good experience of measuring things, and I would say that the snake I saw there was close to 50 foot or 15 meters in length. When the helicopter got closer, the snake reared up about 10 feet or three meters off the ground. It had large triangular jaws, and I am convinced that if the helicopter was closer, it would have struck the craft. The mouth was about three by two feet or one by two-thirds meters long, and it could have swallowed a person whole. I thought we were going to do a cryptid. (laughs) You said cryptids, man. You're right. This shit ain't cryptid. That is fucking real. I agree with you because everything I found... If you look at that picture, and when you get the context of what the surroundings are, which I'm fairly fairly sure, if I know you, you're going to describe it pretty darn good. Once you realize everything that's surrounding that creature, that thing is enormous. Yes, it is. The biggest snake ever photographed. And like you said, it's a fucking Belgian helicopter pilot. He's not going to make this shit up. No. He's not going to hoax people. This is a real, this one hundred, hundred, hundred percent real. Now, the th- continue, sir. There were also some other people on that helicopter that saw the same thing he did. One of them was that said photographer named Kent. There was also a Colonel Roger Geeson and a parachute Major Dave Befew. I don't understand the Belgian Army's, like, that was a parachute major, but, I mean, major's a major in in my book. I mean, why has he got to be called out for being parachute major? 
I mean, is there a difference? Obviously, in the Belgian Army, there is. In the American Army, there's not. I mean, you can be a... It's like the difference between a baby and a toddler. <laughs> They're basically the same thing. That's right. One can you walk, one cannot. <laughs> you just call them something different. <laughs> so the story <laughs> and photograph captivated a lot of people, especially after it was made famous by the show Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. And when it was covered in cryptozoologist Bernard Wavelman's book, The Last Dragons of Africa, many thought that Van Leerde, who was a high-ranking member of the Belgian military and had received multiple awards, was a credible eyewitness. Well, no shit. Of course, it also inspired years of debate over whether or not the photo shows a genuine giant snake. Uh, Yeah, it does. Let's just end it right there. What is astonishing is that the Snake is not the only reported one in the Congo. Africa's largest known snake is the Central African Rock Python, which is found near where Van Leerda's sighting took place. However, it only reaches a confirmed length of about 25 feet. So this thing's twice that length, or seven and a half meters. This shoots holes in the theory that he just misjudged the size of what he was seeing. You're not going to double a 25-foot snake in a helicopter. In terms of cryptid snakes, however, there's what's called the, this is, I'm going to kill it, but anyway, Pumina, which translates to, you guessed it, giant snake. Locals call regular snakes momas, but the giant ones Puminas. Now, ethnographer and explorer, Mary Kingsley once reported that a 40-foot or 12-meter-long snake had been found in modern-day Nigeria about 175 kilometers or 110 miles northwest of the Kumina Air Base Van Leerde was in charge of. An ethnographer is a researcher who immerses themselves into a community to observe their behaviors and interactions up close. Basically, she is a white woman down there trying to convert them all to Jesus. But anyway, that's beyond the point. A man named Michael Vermuse, or I'm sorry, Merce, spotted and fled from the giant snake that Mary saw. Basically, he pulled a Rodney Carrington. He goes, oh, shit, snake. <laughs> <laughs> Two movements, a bowel movement and a physical movement. Anyway, uh-huh. there are some problems with the description of the snake, however. A snake that big would struggle to move around on land, and usually larger snakes typically live in or near water most of the time. So for it to be out in the middle of the dry area would be odd. Not unfathomable, but just odd. Another point of contention is that the snake Van Leerde photographed doesn't really resemble any of the known local snakes. Van Leerde described it as having a dark green back and a white belly, which is unlike the local rock python's description. It could be a new species of snake that's not related to the rock python, but one can only surmise at this point. One of the oddest features is is Van Leerde claiming that the snake rose and struck at them. This also doesn't really fit the rock python's description. A python, especially one that size, wouldn't rise up to attack its prey like a cobra would. The major controversy around the photo is that there's almost a, I don't know, they say comical, but I'm just saying like odd landscape where there's nothing recognizable in the photo. 
that could be used as a scale to actually determine the length of the snake. However, there are some who think that you can make out different features in the picture. Bernard Wavelman's claim to have shown it to several Belgian scientists who had been in the Congo stated that they had identified termite mounds and trees in the actual picture of the snake. According to them, there is an acacia thicket in the upper right corner that could be used as a scale. All of them agree that it was a very large snake. Huge. Huge. It was huge. Huge. Wavelman also consulted the zoologist and wildlife photographer Ray Turkoffs, who calculated that based on the estimated head of the helicopter, about 16 meters or 50 foot off the ground and the angle the photo was taken, the snake would be around 12 to 14 meters or 39 to 45 feet in length, which is right in Van Leerder's wheelhouse of approximately 50 feet. Turkoffs also thought that the blur around the edges of the photo was a result of the picture being taken from a helicopter and poor lens correction. Now, there have been two noteworthy pieces of analysis conducted on the photograph, which has basically come back and they've said, look, this has not been doctored in any way. This is an actual photograph of something on the ground. The first really positive, my friend. The first is an attempt to measure objects in the photo conducted by Reddit user Autumn Octavia. They highlighted what are allegedly true two trees, a mound, and another tree. They did not conclude that the trees proved that the snake was around 50 feet long. However, they gave some inconclusive estimations of the snake's length based on how tall the trees were, which they said could be anywhere from... These are some big-ass discrepancies. But anyway, they said... They, Autumn Octavia, said it could be anywhere from 12 to 60 feet. That's a huge-ass discrepancy. Now, the user did think that the best estimate for the tree's height would be putting the length of the snake somewhere between 30 to 50 feet, but that's still a big-ass snake. A 30-foot snake? Shit. I mean, that's no joke. No. You're going to get the hell out of its way. Oh, I would, dude, I'm not a fast runner, but I would set the land speed record if I saw a 30-foot fucking snake. So the second analysis is an attempt to find the actual location of the sighting on Google Earth. Now, user Donald's Happy Meal looked through Google Earth to try and find the location. They did find a spot which seems to match both the photograph and the claim that the snake was 50 feet long. They put together the spot on Google Earth and the photograph, and I'll try to put how the overlay works on our social medias, but I ain't promising anything. What's interesting about this is that it wasn't the first time someone had attempted to do this. One of Bernard Wavelman's friends named George Bonaveri also traveled to this spot in 1959. Now, keep in mind, this was right after... Van Leerde is said to have seen it. So this guy is down there within a couple of weeks or months at the most of the original photograph. Now, when Bonaveri gets there, he apparently filmed color footage of the spot from the same height alleged by Van Leerde. This footage was then analyzed and seemed to back up the size estimate. But 
as you know, unfortunately, the footage, they've kind of misplaced it. And it's not available online anywhere. And it probably sits in the Wavelman archives in Switzerland. And ain't nobody giving access to that right now. So unless you got some Mission Impossible situations going on, uh, we ain't getting that color photo. I now, wish we would. Oh, I do too. If we look at the satellite photo from Google Earth, where they're saying that they have pinpointed this is the exact spot, if this is the spot, what's the problem? Well, the issue is the photo doesn't seem to be in the same area that the witnesses on the helicopter described. Bonaveri said that the spot was about 100 kilometers northwest of Camina. The satellite photo is closer to Camina and is in the east. This does not necessarily kill the whole story, of course, because the satellite photo of Bonaveri did get some details wrong previously, like stating that the camera used to take the photo was a 45 millimeter when it was actually a 6x6. Not really a smoking gun one way or the other, but it is a difference. The pictures do look similar, so even if the user didn't get the picture's exact location correct, the satellite image could have captured an area that has similar terrain and features. If this is the case, maybe it still lends credence to the original estimated 50-foot length. Now, we got these people called naysayers. And they, every time, they, they say, say no. They do. and They, they don't care. They claim that the snake is actually a much smaller snake, or get this, a worm placed on a rock or some dirt. I'll just let that stew a second. Say that one more again. They're saying old Van Leer back in 1959, flying his helicopter, said, hey, boys, when we get back to the airfield, I'm going to put this worm on a rock or maybe some dirt, and y'all going to take a picture of it, and we're going to tell everybody it's a 50-foot snake. Oh, yeah. Like, you'd ne- you would never be able to tell. No, ever. no. Well, man, this would explain the lack of features visible in, visible in the photo. It does not prove shit at all. The photograph was taken during a time of extreme crisis in the Congo, so I don't think the snake was a hoax in the sense that someone constructed a giant-ass model or pulled one over Van Leerde. The big question is, will the mystery of the photo ever be solved? Now, there are a couple of leads. First would be getting the color footage of the spot where the photo was taken from the Wavelman's archive. This could help a metric shit ton, if not solve the mystery. It may not be enough to prove the snake's existence, but it would at least give cryptozoologists a spot to look for the snake. Secondly, it could be worth seeing if the other men aboard had any recollection of the sighting. Maybe they thought it was much smaller than Van Leerde, or maybe they have more information about the location. Now, the photographer Kent unfortunately died in a helicopter crash about a year after the sighting. It is rumored that the other two lived longer. Van Leerde passed away in 1990, and Roger Geeson seems to have played a somewhat larger role in the region as his name appears in some articles about the Congo crisis. So perhaps there's archives of him talking about the snake. But this all centers around people living in Belgium. So 
the decree set forth by the, I and Sir Coach a lot is <laughs> if we have any Belgian listeners, you got some homework. I'm going to need y'all to get in there, get in the archives, break in, get us a video. Come on, guys. We're counting on you, Belgium. Yep. For once, don't let us down. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is our first, that is our opening course of our three course meal of, of cryptids for Christmas. The next one tickled Coach's fancy when I sent him a list. He shit on my other one, but he did like this one. I didn't shit on nothing. Well, hey, saying, look, you I said it was not interesting. Actually, I think if I want to pull it up, I, I think you said, fuck that guy. <laughs> Who? Okay. Yeah. I didn't say fuck that guy. I mean, it's just like, it's it's Bigfoot. Just because it stinks. It's fucking living in a swamp in Florida. Everyone in Florida stinks. That's true. Flip There's phone activated. There's some good people in Florida, but come on. If you're in Florida and you just got offended, I get. I guarantee you somebody in Florida is going to hear that. And I said, everyone in Florida stinks. They're going to go, that's sort of, yeah, yeah, I mean. So our second course is the Thunderbirds. Now, the Thunderbird is a broad, very broad term used to describe. Big-ass bird. Yeah, that's right. Any bird that's bigger than what you think it should be anywhere in the world. They are known for their size. That's it. Thunderbirds are typically described as black and having relatively rectangular type wings. Sometimes their wingspans are described anywhere in the vicinity of 10 to 14 feet in length to as big as 25 to 30 feet in length. Thunderbirds have been sighted as far back as the original indigenous tribes of North America. There have been some highly contested vidyas that are said to be of actual Thunderbirds. Now, the Thunderbird was a predominant character, deity, or entity in the traditions of North America's indigenous tribes, and it is important to keep in mind that the culture of these tribes was an oral one. There was no writing, so everything we know about the culture is totally dependent on languages that are still debated. So we'll never know with certainty the degree of belief in such matters, but its role in native lore is consistent throughout the entire North American indigenous region. What in the hell just happened? I couldn't possibly tell you. Where the hell did it go? My whole computer just went down. Can you see me? I can see you. Shit. Well, we're just going to leave this shit in here. Okay, so anyway. We'll just... It's the Christmas episode, man. There's no editing. Yeah, fuck it. So, we don't know whether it's native lore or if it's consistent throughout all of the North American continent. What we do know is just about every indigenous tribe in North America has some sort of telling of a Thunderbird. One definition from the older tribes is that a Thunderbird is a giant bird that has a strong correlation to, you guessed it, thunderstorms. But the correlation is not what you think. It is a powerful and generally considered a virtuous or moral 
entity in its human characteristics, which all animals were endowed with according to the indigenous history. The Thunderbird is distinctive in native cultures as it is often portrayed alongside eagles. In the folk stories, the Thunderbirds often interact with falcons and ravens. They play a particularly important role in native traditions and were in constant combat with the various darker deities such as the Great Horned Serpent, which I've heard of, but this next one I had never heard of. The Underwater or Underworld Panther. Have you ever heard of an underwater panther? I have honestly not. Yeah, I'm not like steep in Native American history, but most cryptid shit I have heard of, but I have never heard of Underwater or Underworld Panther. Sure, we'll get some hate on that. Thunderbirds were called upon to fight these evil spirits. The oral traditions state that when you see lightning... You are witnessing the fight between the Thunderbirds and those evil spirits. And the thunderclap is the Thunderbird pimp slapping the underwater panther. I I, I was thinking it was, you know, twerking. (laughs) Big ass cheeks, boy. (laughs) (laughs) But how? What is lost in translation is whether or not these deities fought with lightning or if the fights caused storms or if they just fought during storms. Now, totems held a great significance to the North American tribes. Totems are animals or objects used to depict certain attributes or features that a group or individual wants to embody. A totem pole is a physical representation of these totems along with their symbolism. Almost all of the tribes of North America had a totem representation of the Thunderbird or a large bird that is related to lightning that holds particular merit within their belief structure. The Quakakudle tribe, if I hadn't just like hung up on that, it would have been better. In the Pacific Northwest and the Ho-Chunk tribe of Wisconsin used the Thunderbird as their predominant totem animal. Now, totem animals important to the Haida in British Columbia are the raven, eagle, killer whale, bear, loon, woodpecker, thunderbird, hawk, wolf, dogfish, owl, otter, sea lion, mountain goat, and anaqua, which means forest man, or a.k.a. Sasquatches. Hey, I'm a big fan. I am too. I like your work, buddy, but you just need to not be so blurry. <laughs> so let's go back and look at this. So native cultures are constructing constructing these totem poles and these animals that they always place on these poles have a raven an eagle a loon a woodpecker a hawk an owl that's six aviary type animals and then there's the thunderbird that in itself is not a misidentification That is a real animal. Now, it is interesting how if you look up the types of rabbit on Google, like if you top in to the old Google machine, go to google.com and you put it in there and it's worth a Google. And you just type in types of rabbit. Guess what one of the types of rabbits is going to be? A little Easter bunny. We all know 
that some gun ain't no rabbit and he ain't real. But that solidifies what I was trying to explain to you about the totems. And all you've got six birds on that list plus the Thunderbird. So it's not like they're like, yeah, we're just going to make up one. That's not it. So the First Nation concept of Thunderbirds is enshrined with myths, so was the rest of their world. An animal being enshrined in mythology does not necessarily make that animal mythological. But of course, the legend doesn't stop with native cultures. Historical newspaper reports of Thunderbirds are relatively rare. Cryptids were actually quite topical in the past few centuries, and the lack of giant bird reports almost leads one to believe that it wasn't newsworthy or captivating enough to report, or more importantly, captivating enough to merit valuable column space. Now, author Lauren Coleman compiled some sightings from Alton, or Alton, Illinois, however you pronounce it up our, that took place in the 1940s. Numerous unrelated people reported seeing a large jet blackbird. Most of these sightings were at great distances. One witness said that in 1948, he thought he was watching a small aircraft until its wings started to flap. He stated it was flying very high in the air. And another witness in 1947 described a similar blackbird with an estimated wingspan of some 20 feet that cast a shadow like an airplane. Alois Kaufman, the mayor of nearby St. Louis, was so amazed with giant bird sightings that he attempted to find whatever people were seeing. He sent an employee to trap a giant bird, but considered the mystery solved when the employee returned with photographs of and tracks of a great blue heron. The mayor was likely just after a bit of publicity, but even the largest of great blue herons did not fit the profile of what was reported by these eyewitnesses. And these reports from some 70 years ago become more interesting when taking into account that similar reports occurred in the same area again 30 years later. So fast forward to 1978, a 17-year-old named John Walker from Danville, Illinois, was hunting doves with a friend. It was noon and a bright day. Now, he claims to have seen a giant black bird that made a series of shrill shrieks. He said the wings seemed more square than birds he was used to seeing. He estimated the body from neck to where the tail starts to be between five or six feet in length. That is a big-ass bird. You're damn right it is. He said it was upsetting. (laughs) Another first, there was two movements, bowel movement and physical movement. He said it upset him enough that he stopped the old dove hunt and told his friend to get the hell out of there. Now, in 1977, in Lawndale, Illinois, Marlon Lowe was 10 year old and he was playing with some friends in a field beside his house. He claims that a giant bird swooped down on him and had contact with him for some 40 feet. To be clear, he does not claim that it was carrying him up in the sky. Little uh, Marlon weighed about 60 pounds at the time. He alleges that it lifted him high enough that he was being dragged across the ground. 
He stated that he was trying to keep pace with the bird because when he didn't, the bird's talons would dig into him. Now, his mother saw this unfold from the house. She runs outside, and when she starts creating a big scene, the bird lets Marlin go and flies off. Now, another bird is circling the same size overhead while this whole fiasco is going down with Marlin near the ground. Marlin stated that he had not seen anything immediately before the attack. It was completely unexpected. His mother, Ruth Lowe, filed a report with the county conservation officer and the sheriff's office. Both mother and son described it as being a black bird with a white ring around its neck. Now, the conservation officers put out an alert that there is an aggressive turkey vulture in the area, but the Lowe's vehemently disagreed. They believed it was bigger than any turkey vulture. After visiting the library, Ruth Lowe determined that what she saw was an Andean condor. Marlin did have lacerations below his armpits, but nothing requiring urgent medical attention. Now, vultures and condors mostly scavenge and do not have the same grasping power as the more predatory eagles, hawks, and falcons. It isn't impossible, of course, but trying to fly off with a large prey item is uncharacteristic of turkey vultures and condors. Now, the same year, about 70 miles south of Longdale at Lake Shelbyville, Illinois, Jay Huffer was working as a freelance photographer for the local CBS station. A lot of people had called the news station regarding giant bird sightings on Lake Shelbyville. So Jay was sent to film them, and he did. At least, he says he did. Now, this is the infamous grainy video of the alleged Thunderbirds flying amongst the trees of the lake. Now, this is late 70s. It was featured in, I think, one of the episodes of Monster Quest. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was. Absolutely. Loved that show. I did, too. Loved it. Now, if you Google Thunderbirds video, this is probably the top response. So, I suggest that's what you do. Because there's just no way for us to put that on the socials. I mean, that's just way above my wheelhouse. Actually, it's not, but it's just going to take some time to download that shit. Now, Jay gets in a canoe, and he starts looking, and he happens to find two birds. He said they were much bigger than any bird he had seen before. He said they were entirely black, their necks were long, their heads were bald, black, and leathery. From the video, it is dang near impossible to make a size comparison with anything known. But the two birds he filmed appear to be very, very large. Again, we have some naysayers out there, and they say... I think they say, nay. That's, yes, and that is interpreted as he filmed a turkey vulture. Dude, there's a big difference. Like, There's a huge gonna... difference. From my research, there's a guy that broke down basically body weight, body size, wingspan, wing length, fucking beak to tail feather, body body length, not taking in the head or the tail. And there, when you break it down, there really isn't, you can't fuck this up, basically. Like, you, you're not going to make a misidentification in this. You're not going to say, oh, that's, I saw this big-ass bird, and then somebody's next to you is like, no, man, that's a turkey vulture. No, I mean, this is, 
again, it goes back to this is something physical and real. But anyway, the naysayers call Jay out and state that if he had really wanted to get the facts, and I love this shit, he should have just stayed put and waited for another bird or a heron to fly into frame so that he could have a reference point. Like, you dumbasses, he's out there paddling around in a canoe, and he finds what he's looking for. He's like, fuck it, I'm getting it on video. Now, should Jay have gone back afterwards and found exactly where he was at on the lake, went out there as a size reference, put himself near a tree or something like that? Sure, but hindsight's twenty twenty. So like I said about that their show called Monster Quest, it is featured in one of them their episodes. And in that episode, they got three biologists and they let them look at this clip. Now, one of them, Mike Wallace, is not that Mike Wallace, an ornithologist with the Zoological Society of San Diego. And he says, without a doubt, those things that Jay filmed were turkey vultures. David Hancock is a biologist, and he said that it is a pair of turkey vultures. And then you have Patrick Reddick, the director of the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota, and he says, Ruh-ruh-raggy, those look, those look too broad to be a turkey vulture and too long to be an eagle. He said that it seems to be more like a condor, and assuming the footage was taken in Illinois, then the identification of these birds are in question. Jay's description is way more helpful than his video. He states now, remember, all black, long neck, leathery, black face. At first, yep, sounds like a turkey vulture. However, a turkey vulture's range does not make it into Illinois. So they're not going to be a common sight. But they're also not going to be so big that no one's ever thinking, oh my God, it's some new animal. They're, the wingspan is what's causing the conundrum or the fervor in the area. So the wingspan of only five or five and a half feet would put it on the smaller end of turkey vultures. Yeah, that's not very big, but again, I don't think that's what they saw. No, and a and a wingspan less than six feet from tip to tip is not saying Thunderbird. That like what I'm trying to emphasize here is you're not going to have you're not going to see a bird with six feet long from tip to tip six feet. That's not a big bird. Right. I mean, it's big, but it's not going to fool you into thinking that you're seeing a Thunderbird. And it's not going to cause you to call the local news station and be like, hey, there's something going on down here. Send a photographer. And it wasn't like it was just one person. From what I can gather, this was like in the excess of 20 plus people calling the news station being like, look, there's something big flying around down here. And they dispatched Jay, the photographer. So the fact that these two birds had caused such a ruckus around the lake makes it seem unlikely that they are your typical turkey vultures. Now, some people say he saw two California condors, specifically two adolescent California condors because... Oh, so they're not even fully grown? Yeah. Even more reason. The reason they say that is because the adolescent California condors are entirely black at that age. 
but their wingspan would have been nearly nine feet long compared to a large bald eagle at seven feet long. It is plausible that seeing two adolescent California condors would cause several people to call the news station. The problem is the closest California condors to Illinois just happen to be in Arizona. So it is certainly out of place. However, if we are to take Marlon and Ruth Lowe's account into consideration, then there may be another suspect. Ruth was very clear that the creature that attacked her son had a white ring around its neck, and she decided herself that it could only have been an Andean condor. Shocker, but Andean condors live, you guessed it, in the Andes along the Pacific side of South America. These condors are actually in a league of their own. They are a particular, I'm sorry, them and a particular type of pelican, along with the albatross, are the largest birds of flight with a wingspan of about 11 feet. So we're getting up there. Now, Jay, the photographer, did not mention a white ring, and the video footage doesn't seem to show it either. The lifespan of an Andean condor is approximately 50 plus years in the wild. It is highly unlikely that the birds would gain or lose the white ring in a single year. Why am I bringing this up? Because this means that the two birds filmed in 1978 were different specimens than the birds that attacked the boy in Danville. If two Andean condors were reported in Danville and then giant birds were spotted and filmed on Lake Shelbyville, the thought process would be that they were one and the same because it's not a large distance between them. If what Ruth saw was an Andean condor, then an escapee from a zoo or bird park is more likely than a pair taking a wrong turn at Albuquerque and winding up in Illinois. Perhaps the best evidence to support the Andean condor hypothesis is the fact that someone was motivated enough to try and film them. Turkey vultures are extremely common in southern Illinois, and people just do not get tore out of the frame unless they were seeing something truly unusual. An Andean condor is high on the list to cause the ruckus. Whatever it was, it was not common, and I do not see any reason to discredit people who were there. More recently than the 1970s, and in a more suiting place, giant birds have been reported in Alaska by pilots flying between Juneau and Anchorage. Right after the video is a picture of a, I think it's a twin prop plane flying above the clouds, and there's a big-ass bird off one of the wings. Now, again, there's no flame, or flame, reference, frame reference, other than just a bird, some clouds, and the wing of a plane. Now, there have been dozens of these reports in the last 20 years or so. The reports liken the creature to a small aircraft in size. Biologists are quick to point out that the stellar sea eagle, yes, that is the type, with an 8-foot wingspan cannot account for the birds that they saw, which they claim doubles the largest sea eagle. So they're saying that the wingspan of what they're up there seeing, the pilots are seeing, is 16 feet. Thunderbirds could be remnant populations of birds thought to be extinct rather than claiming everyone is misidentifying known birds. One of the largest birds of flight that we are aware of is called Argentavis. 
It weighed close to 160 pounds with a wingspan of over 20 feet. In flight, the distance from the tip of its bill to the end of its tail feathers would have exceeded 11 feet in length. That's a big son of a birch. Now, it is believed that Argentavis traversed massive areas in search of animal remains or even used its sheer mass to intimidate predators away from meals. It also has been speculated that it had the capability of taking down mid-range prey such as calves. Argentavis is often portrayed as a beefier condor, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It had stout bones even relative to its size. Therefore, Argentavis was very large-bodied. Now, an albatross may be a better analogy. However, it's extremely unlikely that a human in South America ever encountered Argentavis because mainstream science states that they went extinct some 6 million years ago. They have been stated to have had a wingspan, like I said, in excess of 20 feet and an active range of roughly 200 square miles. This thing would have a lot of trouble being cryptic. However, not out of the realm of possibility. Now, there's another contender that certainly encountered humans called Tetran... Oh, I'm going to screw this up. Pteranormophids or Pteratorns or Pteratornus. And these skeletons slash remains, whatever the hell you want to call it, have been pulled from the La Brea tar pits, and they date back to under 10,000 years ago, which means that humans certainly saw them in North America. Teratorns had a wingspan of roughly 13 feet and weighed between 30 and 35 pounds. And to put that in perspective, some bald eagles in Alaska have been known to have a wingspan of seven and a half feet. The typical bald eagle, however, found in the lower 48 are considerably smaller and max out at around 10 pounds. Teratorns would have had a wingspan 5 feet longer and weighed 20 pounds more. They would have been a sight to behold. And just to put this into perspective, is one of the heaviest birds alive today that is capable of flight is the trumpeter swan. It has a wingspan that maxes out around 10 feet in length and just and weighs just under 30 pounds, but it's still smaller than a Teratorn. And the reason I bring this up is maybe we have a pocket population of these things that can stay hidden. I mean, kind of like Bigfoot. Now, another recent sighting comes from Pennsylvania in late of 2002 in a mountainous area of Wyoming County, Pennsylvania. A man was on his porch when he saw that he, at first, thought were two huge herons, but it quickly became apparent that they were not what he thought they were. The man said, quote, they were huge, much larger than any bird I have ever seen, end quote. So he calls, I mean, He's a man after my own heart. He's out there probably taking a whiz off his back porch or smoking him a cigarette. He sees something crazy, and he's like, hey, y'all come out here and take a look at this. And he calls the other members of the family that are in the house to come out, see what he's seeing. Am I I crazy? Y'all seeing what I see? And he said, along with the family members, that they saw the same thing and that the pair landed on a pine tree some distance away. 
He goes on to state that their wingspans were as wide as the base of the tree and their weight bent the trunks of the tree over and they had to stabilize themselves by keeping their wings raised out. The man went on to say the diameter of the base of the pine tree was 12 feet. Please keep in mind that's not circumference. That's from one end of the circle to the other end, okay? But that's still a big-ass tree. He looked at a bird identification guide and said that there was nothing remotely close to the size of what he saw, but he was absolutely convinced that it was posturing itself in the way a comorant does. He's not saying it was a comorant, but comorants are known to kind of keep their wings out and kind of stabilize themselves. He said that's what it looked like they were doing, but he knows it wasn't a giant comorant. Now, this is similar to the petroglyphs from Three Rivers National Parks in New Mexico. These petroglyphs were made somewhere between 0 and 500 A.D. Thunderbird petroglyphs are distinct from eagle depictions because the eagle was always depicted with the iconic hooked beak and rounded profile. Thunderbirds are always, if not 100%, portrayed in a boxy or folded shape. Now, the people's choice, our main course, the black dogs. You're muted, dumbass. (laughs) You're still muted. How the fuck was I mean? I don't know. I didn't do it. <laughs> you're over there losing your mind. I'm like, but you're still muted. I said like several things that didn't make didn't make the air. And then I'm like, dude, you're not letting me talk. Like, what the fuck? I didn't know I was muted. Damn. Anyway, we didn't. You didn't give our opinion on whether or not we believed. Oh, I think thunder. I think all of these are real. To be honest with you. I think, yeah, I think you might be right. I don't know. This third one's going to be kind of iffy. Yeah, it's iffy, but I'm, like, so far, we're about 100%. definitely black dogs in America, but I don't know what, what exactly what we're talking about. That's right, winky, winky. However, I think at some point in history, Thunderbirds were definitely real. Well, I don't know if they're, those of you that have watched the Monster Quest episode that we referenced, um, I think the account that they had in that episode was not from Illinois where the boy was grabbed. I think the account in that episode, and I may be misremembering because I've drank a lot since then, but I think they said that account happened in Alabama, which I know that's a scratch, but I think, I think you're right. I think I remember that from monster quest. I do think it was in Alabama. And I thought that that stuck out. That boy almost got abducted. He yeah, they drug his real. ass up. He was like four or five feet off the ground when they when his mama yelled at that bird and said, "Let go of that son of a bitch!" And she got, and he got scared. He got scared. Bird knew better. She ran out there with a damn wife beater on and pack of marbles. She was barefooted. <laughs> she said, "Roll tide, motherfucker." Dude, it was a female in Alabama. You know good and damn well she's drinking. She was smoking palmolives. You're right. I'm sorry. As my granddaddy from Alabama. He loved a good filterless palm oil. Dude, my grandma, she smoked. She lived into her 80s, and she smoked uh, Parliament's. Holy Lord. 
Till the day she died. Yeah, man. Parliament. Parliament Funkadelics. Bringing back memories. (laughs) Okay. So the last main course, fan favorite, recommended. Y'all voted for it. Not really, but if you're in the group chat, you voted. Kind of didn't not say not to do it. And if you're not in the group chat. We took the first suggestion. It was kind of like a race. It was. If you're not in the group. By this time, you're just missing out. Oh, yeah. You're missing out on some good stuff, man. There's some highly intelligent conversations along with some thought-provoking memes that are thrown out in that com- in that, that group. <laughs> so, a hellhound is a monstrous dog tethered to the spiritual world. It is nicknamed the bearer of death, and in some parts of the world, they are go- found guarding the entryways to the afterlife or lurking in the shadows Behind a person that's about to die. The disappearance, or I'm sorry, not the disappearance, the appearance of the hellhound can vary from region to region, but wherever and whenever they pop up, they're going to strike some fear in the hearts of the people that see them. Uh, the Monsters and Mysteries of America, they did a thing where there was some scene in a neighborhood in Florida, and that whole episode will terrify the shit out of you. Now, these phantom canines are considerably bigger than any normal dog. Even a small hellhound is supposedly the size of a mastiff. Now, the upper end of the hellhound is said to be as big as a horse or a bear. Their hair is as black as coal, and their eyes can either glow red or green. The most terrifying can have multiple heads or even creepier running around without a head on. So spotting a hellhound can be very difficult since they are mostly nocturnal creatures and their black hair blends in with the darkness of the night. If you keep your guard up, you might smell a sulfurous odor as the beast gets closer or you might notice a trail of scorched ground. Despite their ferocious appearance, most of the hellhounds are more mysterious and are very intimidating. They rarely attack humans unless they are provoked. In fact, if you wanted to fight one, it would just run away or disappear into the night. In some stories, the hell I knew (laughs) you want to fight. Just stay right here. I'll be right back. In some stories, the hellhounds are courageous and devoted guardians. They might even be assigned to guard a treasure or a sacred ground, in which case they will spend an eternity in one spot. Now, unlike their counterparts, a guardian hellhound will never back down from a fight. The most common instances of these type of black dogs are in Scotland. In some rare cases, Hellhounds have been seen escorting women through the night or escorting souls on their way to the afterlife to protect them from other monsters. Uh, Gentlemen, pay attention. If you see a woman and she's being escorted by a big black dog, she is not to be approached, okay? You do not go ask for her number. Now, some accounts have been documented where the hellhounds attack churches or other religious gatherings, which does kind of paint them in a more sinister light. I mean, it's not good PR. The hellhounds have been 
may have been, may have, could have supernatural abilities, which can make them either powerful allies or very, very mighty enemies. To begin with, they have incredible strength and speed, even for a large predatory animal. They can allegedly outrun a cheetah in a race and rip down trees with their claws. They have been said to be masters of disguise, able to conjure up cloaks of mist, shapeshift into various forms, or just vanish into thin air. In cultures which associate fire with hellhounds, these black dogs are also able to play tricks with flames. They scorch the ground where they walk, and their claws are as hot as fire when they lash out. They are masters at making dramatic entrances and exits, conjuring up pillars of fire to transport themselves. While the hellhound's most alarming ability is their uncanny sense of death, if you see a hellhound, your odds of dying in the nearby future are high. If you see it three times, you're a goner. It is unclear whether these black phantoms appear just as omens of death or if they are actually causing death. Either way, if you see one, it's not a welcome sight. In China, there is a huge black demon dog known as the Chingago, which is blamed for causing eclipses by eating the sun or the moon. In Japan, we have one called the Ocarina, which is said to follow men and women who travel at night. If the traveler has a worthy heart, then the Ocarina will protect him or her from other monsters. If, however, the traveler is a clumsy or coward, the hound will devour them. Many of the accounts of hellhounds come from the English folklore and the so-called black dog. The most common black dog tales originate in the British Isles and are associated with impending death or disaster. In addition to the British Isles, however, it has been seen in mainland Europe, the U.S., and Latin America. These black dogs appear as a ghostly animal, usually with fur so black it casts no sheen in the moonlight. Some versions are white, others are brown, some are yellow, some are even spotted. Mostly, however, they are black. They all have the characteristics of the fiercely glowing eyes, sharp claws, and long teeth. They are said to be bigger than any kind of dog, often described as the size of a cow or, in some instances, a horse. Now, another interesting trait of the black dog is that, unlike other creatures of myth and legend, they are clearly not just one creature, but instead more of a species of creature. Many different versions have popped up in several different locations. In Somerset, England, more specifically, Leeds, a black-known or a black dog known as a padfoot has been known to be helpful to those that are kind to it. In the U.S. near the Hanging Hills of Connecticut, there is another black dog which is a good omen if you only see him once. If you are unlucky enough to have a second encounter, this will bring sorrow and a third encounter will bring death. In some of the more sinister legends, the black dog is not a harbinger of death, but a deliverer instead. In 19, or I'm 19, yeah. In 1577, a black dog appeared during a raging storm in Suffolk. This one ran into a church, causing fear and panic. Upon passing between two parishioners that were praying on the floor, they died instantly. Nearby in the same storm, another black dog appeared in 
Bilthberg. This appearance resulted in the death of another three people. Other oh, British wow. Other British versions of the Hellhound include the one in Yorkshire area of northern England. This one is noting as being a shapeshifter, frequently appearing as a headless woman or a white cat or a rabbit. And it's also more daring than the other hellhounds and is very comfortable scurrying off into the town square. The most famous one is known as Black Shuck, and it belongs to the coastal areas of Norfolk, Essex, and Suffolk. This one is well known by its unusual physical treat, and that is one eye glowing in the center of its forehead. In the 16th century, Black Shuck made an infamous attack on two church goers, killing two people. Call, I'm, I'm sorry, made an attack on two churches, killing two people and causing the steeple to fall from another one. The so-called Yif Hound uh, resides in Devon. And, like other harbingers of death, this hound hand has no head. He rarely interacts with humans, but his waiting cry can be heard by night travelers and is frequently interpreted as an omen of death. The black dog of bully comes to us from England's Channel Islands and is the fastest of all the hellhounds. It takes to terrifying travelers by galloping in circles around them. It has been reported that this one can run so fast it actually causes a storm around it. It has been stated that this hellhound is known to wear a broken chain around its body, but no explanation is given to the significance of said chain. Now, the indigenous people of Mexico and Central America have their legends about the so-called Cadejo. This is the spirit that is often seen by travelers, especially going at night. The Cadejos come in two types, a white one and a black one. The white ones are compassionate and will protect travelers from harm, while the black ones will kill travelers if they can. Both versions of this creature have goat hooves and sometimes horns. They also have a unique gift among other older hellhounds in that they can actually talk to humans. However, there's a catch. If you actually listen to them, you will go mad. To this very day, the black dog or hellhound haunts many locations and superstitious areas. So whatever this species is, a phantom, a demon, or an actual animal, the danger is imminent if you see one. One of the earliest accounts of a hellhound sighting in the U.S. dates back to the late 1800s when a group of loggers working deep in the woods of Pike County, Kentucky reported encountering a beast. According to their traumatic tale, they had set up camp for the night when they heard strange rustling in the underbrush. Thinking it was a wild animal, they readied their rifles, but nothing could have prepared them for what emerged from the shadows. As the loggers described it, the hellhound appeared suddenly and as if materializing out of thin air. Its eyes glowed like two fiery embers in the night and it moved with an unnatural grace, silently stalking towards them. Panic set in as they realized the sheer wickedness of the creature before them. Desperate to fend off the beast, the loggers fired their rifle, but their bullets seemed to pass right through the hounds, as if they were a ghost. 
With bated breath and trembling hands, they watched as the creatures circled the camp, emitting a bone-chilling growl that seemed to echo through the very depths of their cells. Miraculously, the loggers... I'm sorry, go ahead. That will give me a time to parch my lips. I was just saying, I like your little... Your narration, when you change your voice and you get all into it. I'm trying to keep you entertained, Governor. Hello, puppet. Miraculously, the loggers survived the night, but their encounter with the hellhound of Pike County forever changed them. I'd say so. They swore they'd never venture into the woods again, and they carried the mental scars of that night until their dying days. Since that fateful encounter, reports of hellhound sightings in Pike Pike County have continued to haunt the region. Peter, let us know if you've ever heard of any. Locals share tales of livestock mysteriously vanishing in the night, their panic bleats silenced by the menacing growls of the creature. Others speak of the hellhound lurking near the infamous Pope Lick Trestle, a towering railroad bridge claiming that the creature seeks the souls of those who dare cross it. One chilling story tells of a group of teenagers who, in a fit of boldness, ventured into the woods near the trestle one moonless night. Armed with flashlights and a fearless spirit, they set out on their ill-fated adventure, oblivious to the terror that awaited them. As they made their way through the underbrush, the forest seemed to close in around them, the darkness pressing in from all sides. Suddenly they heard it, an ominous growl. <laughs> And it was Carl, and he's over there taking a massive shit in the underbrush. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) So they hear this growl of the hellhound, and in a panic, they shine the old flashlights into the night, revealing a pair of blood-red eyes gleaming in the darkness. The creature lunged at them with blinding speed, and the teens shit their pants and fled. I just made that last part up, but they did run like hell. They stumbled through the woods to escape. But the hellhound pursued them relentlessly. It growls growing louder and louder and louder, more menacing with each passing moment. In the frantic flight, one teen, just like a horror movie, the old gimp falls. (laughs) And the creature closes in. The others, driven by fear, said, Fuck that bastard, we're running. They did not stop for their friend. They kept running just like true friends would. Don't stop for me. If I'm dumb enough to trip over my own two feet, let him eat me. At least you got a fighting chance to get away. So anyway, they make it to safety. This is a, uh, I don't know where safety's at, but anyway, they get to a safe space. They turn around. They can't find their friend. They go back down there, which I wouldn't have gone back. I'd have been like, fuck him. Coach is dead. I mean, he fell. Fuck his fat ass. (laughs) <laughs> oh damn man why you gotta bring my fat ass into this you could just say fuck him you didn't have to you could say fuck that guy you didn't have to, you didn't have to include the fact that I got a fat ass that's not fair everybody loves your donkey butt anyway <laughs> So somehow they convince everybody to go back down there and look for their fallen comrade. But guess what? When they go back down there, they can't find anything. So search parties are dispatched (laughs) to the area. And for weeks, they search and they search and they search, but they can't find the missing teenager. Some say that the old hellhound claimed another soul that night. 
Now, the Hellhound of Pike County persists as both a source of terror and fascination for those who live in the area. It is a creature that defies rational explanation, a wicked force that lingers in the darkness, the darkest recesses of the night, awaiting for a next unsuspecting victim. This next story comes from El Dorado Canyon in Nevada. In the, sl- or I'm sorry, in, what the hell did I type? I can't even read my own damn writing. So anyway, we're in El Dorado Canyon in Nevada. During the mining days, many prospectors kept dog at their claim sites to protect their property. Trained to attack at the slightest trespass by strangers, these dogs were often extremely vicious. Quote, man's best friend or not, many of these dogs were shot, left chained at the claim site to die, or released into the wild when the gold played out. Over the years, numerous tales of sightings of these many ghostly hounds have been told by exploring visitors and locals. A few tell of being attacked by these ferocious canine apparitions. One story on the old Shadowlands website describes two brothers who were compelled to test the validity of the hellhound stories. So they go out exploring. That's never a good idea, guys. It's never a good no. idea. You don't go explore. Don't go out in the woods, man. No. Fuck that woods. Fuck that shit. Do not go in the woods. No, we're not going to look in an old mining town. Hell no, especially not after dark. Fuck that shit. Oh shit, it was an old mining town? Yeah. Not the woods? Oh, hell no. 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 Hell no. Hell to the no, no, no. I think I got that somewhere. Let's see if I got that anywhere. Uh, let's see. Yep, there she is. Uh-uh, ain't doing it. Anyway, these two dumbasses go out there and they're just going to start exploring around and they find an old mine shaft where they noticed an ancient weathered chain embedded into the rock near the entrance of a mine. They... Throwing caution to the wind, decide, fuck it, we're going in. And they come upon a pile of bones that appeared to be those of a very large dog. That's strike two. As the sun sets, that's strike three, you dumbasses out there after dark. They decide, we're just going to camp near the mine shaft entrance. What could go wrong camping near an abandoned mine shaft entrance? Sitting around a small campfire, they listened to what sounded like coyotes yipping in the distance. Not alarmed, they ate dinner around the fire until both men began to feel uncomfortable as the air became heavy. Before long, they sound or they sound. They heard the sounds of large dogs panting nearby, followed by low and vile growls. With hair standing upon the back of their necks, they heard the sound of paws circling the campsite and scratching noises from the shaft where the chain was. As they looked at the entrance to the mine shaft, the chain began to move, seemingly being tugged away from the rock wall by an unknown force. As the pulling continued harder each time, the brothers, they fumbled for their gear. You ain't fumbling for shit. If there's a chain being yanked and there's nothing attached to the end of it, fuck it. They can have my sleeping bag, my tent, and everything else. I'm getting out of there. So these two geniuses stumble to their feet, and then one of them decides they're going to put a flashlight towards where the chain's at. Well, guess what? They see scratch marks and fresh bloodstains on the rock. 
Suddenly, the chain drops, and one of the brothers felt something brush against his leg. Yeah, that was the turd running down his leg. The brothers ran wildly. Wildly, they said, towards their car. So let me get this straight. I'm not saying the dogs not real, but I'm just saying these two geniuses had a means to get the fuck out of Dodge and chose to shine a light at an abandoned shaft and saw blood stains on the wall. Anyway, they get in their car and they drive as fast as they can out of the canyon. However, they start hearing panting and canine footsteps from inside the car. And this goes on for several miles. Like I said, ladies and gentlemen, now we get to another one, possibly one of the most famous ones. The Skinwalker Ranch Hellhound. Christopher Bartle, a security officer yeah, for the Skinwalker Ranch got everything, don't they? Yeah, they do. Well, this yeah, one's had this one's been shot. Uh, he's run, he's, I think he's been shot several times and then he just disappears into the creek bed. But anyway, Christopher Bartle, a security officer for the ranch between 2010 and 2016, photographed a large set of paw prints. So if you go into the Google machine, once again, you type in that Christopher Bartle, B-A-R-T-E-L and Skinwalker Ranch, uh, large dog prints, it's going to come up and they're big, they're big, they're big. So he's patrolling the ranch one evening. And the way he explains it, it is a set of paw prints, very large paw prints that he had seen. And he measures the stride between the paw prints. And that stride is three feet in length. That's a big dog, dog. He and his partner search for the cause of the prints, but it starts to rain. And so they head back. Returning to the scene of the prints, after the rain, they were able to see their own footprints as well as another set of prints. Quote, this thing had been following us from afar the whole night, and none of the three dogs that were with us picked up on the animal. End quote. So as Bartle and his partner approached the ranch's main house, or those of you who've been watching the History Channel, that's Homestead 1, they heard, quote, this loud guttural howl, end quote, from a nearby ditch. Man, it's so hard for me not to say anything. But anyway, Bartle said he then saw a black figure the size of a deer jump out of the ditch, land on the dirt road, and run west. Again, two movements. Physical movement and a bowel movement, maybe at the same time. Now, I will try to post a link to this on our Facebook page. You know how Instagram sucks at you being able to click on links. There are a ton of accounts of hellhounds or black dogs on unexplained-mysteries.com, and they have a website. I'm going to put the, well, it's an unexplained mysteries website. They have a thread of cryptozoology myths and legend and it's called possible hellhound sightings there are four pages starting as far back as december the 6th 2010 um it's a lot dude there's some in there i'm like no 
No, 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 no. They also have some other people saying, were you drunk when you saw this? So <laughs> anyway, so those, I will say the Beast of Bray Road is said to be a. It's a dog man. Well, that, they, and that's what I re- realized is the black dog, dog man, these wolf type creatures, they all blur the lines into what is a hellhound or a black dog. The black dogs and all that is more relevant, prevalent, not relevant, prevalent in, um, like Michigan, that area. However, you can be assured that if I ever see one, I'm not fucking around trying to take a picture of it. You'll just have to believe me. But like I said, you may be able to Google Monsters and Mysteries of America or Monsters in America. I can't remember. It was on the... Tr- I can't remember what damn channel that one's on. But anyway, I'm sure you can find it online. But it has... They have several Hellhound or Black Dog episodes. Now, you have to understand, when you talk about Florida, like Coach said earlier, we may be offended, but... You know, you know people that look just like the person telling this story. So don't judge, okay? Just don't judge. It's not like it's a lady that stabbed her boyfriend in the eye with a rabies needle. That shit really happened. Okay, so with that said, what the hell? What the hell? Um... That was our Christmas scripted triple play. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the holidays are upon us. Our schedule is going to be jacked up. You may or may not get another episode by the end of the year. Just depends on how festive the rest of us is. But remember, the first rule of festivus is the airing of grievances. And I've got some problems with some of you sons of bitches. I'm just joking. So we are going to do a year-end review, wrap up some of the cases that we have covered that have gained a little bit of traction, um, some things that are starting to unravel around some famous cases. We will discuss that, more ad-lib stuff. You get to hear Coach do more than say, "Uh uh-huh, and drink. However... We will kick it off the new year, probably not the third, maybe the 10th, because we have to go back to work, and that sucks in itself, but we will go back to the disappearances. We know you love a good disappearance. So, Coach, what says you of the three? I think you've already made it known. A snake is real. hundred. That's a hundred. What about that there Thunderbird? I think in the past, yes. See, I couldn't find a website or a forum that talked about Thunderbirds. I'm sure they're out there. I just didn't put the right search thing together. But I would love to hear some more recent stories of that. I couldn't find anything other than that one blurb about pilots in Alaska between Juneau and Anchorage seeing them way the fuck up there. Um, the hellhounds, I think that at the beginning of that, I said that they were more of a species 
instead of one entity. And I think that is the case. I think there are specific instances of black dogs slash hellhounds that are believable. Beast of Bray Road. Uh, there was another one. I can't remember what the other one was. There was the dog man of something. There's a hellhound of Kentucky, not Pike County, but it may be the same one. But I think some of those are have roots in reality. But I don't, I don't know. So, what's your recommendation there, Slapnut? I'm going to recommend I watched the entire first season, binge watched it. We're about to start the second season, but on Amazon Prime Reacher. That was going to be my damn first. That was going to be, look at us doing the same thing. No bullshit. No bullshit. No, dude, I love the first season. That was great, man. Yeah, and the second season is just as good. And I think the way that they, you know, Lee Child's the guy that wrote the books. He made an appearance. He made an appearance in the diner, I think twice in the first season. He always makes an appearance in the thing, but they're actually following his book. So each season is going to be a book, and there's a shit ton of books. Uh, If you read anything about when the first season came out, you'll see how Lee Childs had chosen Tom Cruise to direct the Jack Reacher movie, and whoever they had chosen to play Jack Reacher... Cruz supposedly said, look, no, this guy's like raised in the military. Everything's, you know, cornered, black and white, da-da-da-da-da. And supposedly, allegedly, Lee Child was like, while I, my character Jack Reacher, is six foot three, 225, 235 pounds, attitude-wise, Mr. Cruz, you fit the bill, so they let Tom Cruise do two movies on it. But I will say the guy that plays him in the Amazon. Jack Reacher, yeah, the character Jack Reacher is like 6'6", six, six, 300 pounds, and you're going to get like 5'8", Tom Cruise to play him. Like, who fucking cast that? Well, I think that's the thing. Like, they, Lee Child said that when they found Alan Richardson, that they were like, yes, right here, 100%. This is Jack Reacher. And those of you that have not seen it, I highly recommend the first season because it's hilarious. But there's a scene in the first season where his the little female deputy and him, he's going to take a shower, and she kind of slips in there, and in the middle of them making out, he's like, well, who's watching the door? But yes, that was going to be my recommendation. Season two has just started. I have watched the first two episodes. They dropped the first three last Friday. No, Thursday. We are recording on a Tuesday, so Thursday they will drop either the next episode or the next three episodes. But anyway, yes, it is amazing, man. I love that series. Love it. I say, I love it. Well, look at us being Christmas twinkies. Not crazy like that, but anyway. Okay, closing it out. Um, Christmas time food stuff. Is there anything that only comes out around Christmas or you only get at Christmas that you just look forward to food-wise? Like the Little Debbie Christmas trees? Turkey. I just like turkey. I like turkey for Thanksgiving and turkey for Christmas. Oh, I do too. I'd love a good turkey. A turkey. A turkey. I can't do it. But anyway, uh, my wife makes for the holidays a caramel pecan pie that will give you diabetes. It's so good, though. 
and she, but she only makes it twice a year and it's a month apart, but damn, it's good. And I can't wait every year. I'm like, and I know where the recipe's at. It's not like I couldn't make myself one, but I can't because I would have diabetes and I would weigh 700 pounds. However, funny story, my cousin is married to a gentleman whose father has a sweet tooth the size of your head. I saw this guy. Now, he's a big guy, too. He's about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, he probably goes about 285. I see him in Publix with one of them little bitty cakes that you can put in the palm of your hand. I'm like, y'all having like a little birthday party? And no shit, he says. Well, if you buy a whole cake, you just feel guilty if you eat the whole thing. If you buy one of these little ones, you eat the whole thing. It's not but like two slices. And I'm like, I like the way you think. So, ladies and gents, Coach, do you have anything else for the Christmas time carolers out there? You know I don't. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> Y'all have a lovely, merry, merry Christmas and uh, deuces.